The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. I am your host, Nina Willen. I am a certified wound ostomy continence nurse and clinical consultant with Coloplast. Today's podcast guest is Janet Stoy Davis. Janet has 34 years experience in wound ostomy continence nursing and has been certified as a WOC nurse since 1985. In 1996, she began a private wound ostomy continence practice, first as a partnership and presently as sole proprietor, practicing across the continuum with a focus on ostomy care and a passion for patients attaining their desirable quality of life. Janet runs three outpatient ostomy clinics serving different populations. She lectures nationally and internationally, has co-authored both a home study course and an educational video, as well as published on the quality of life of people living with an ostomy. Janet also participates in ostomy and incontinence-associated dermatitis research. So what are some resources in regards to lifestyle that you recommend for uh, patients or people with an ostomy? Oh, there's lots of them out there now, of course, with the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I usually have a list that I give patients um, so that they can access those when they come into clinic at least and or in home care especially you know not that initial initially I give them manufacturer websites mm-hmm. and they have the OAA has some resources and then as they get a little more comfortable with things there's a lot of um, there's some YouTube videos some of them are good some of them aren't so good mm-hmm. always prefacing to patients that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work this could be the panacea for this person but isn't going to work at all for you mm-hmm. so knowing that and I kind of help them because help instill that into them before they start going out there and saying, oh, this is supposed to be the best, this is supposed to be the best. Jen Caldwell at the University of Chicago, who's a well-known in the ostomy world, she actually did three videos, which are really good. And I usually tell people it's on changing a pouch, emptying a pouch, and concealment. But I try and get them to put University of Chicago or Jen Caldwell, because when you, you search that on YouTube, lots of different things come up and she's kind of down on the list so I want them to get reliable sources Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said manufacturer websites are really good they have usually a uh, clinician uh, section Mm -hmm. and they have a consumer section or patient section so those are really good resources WSN website which is our woundostomacontinence.org WSN.org we have some um, sources and then I think I mentioned UOAA, correct? Yes, yeah. which stands for for our listeners Univer- uh, University <laughs> United Ostomy Association of America. Perfect. And I think the website is ostomy.org, dot org, right? Correct. Yeah, yep. so easy to get yep. to and a great, great resource yes. for yes. for nurses and patients mm-hmm. both. Yeah. yeah. How do you engage a person's family member or members in uh, lifestyle management discussions? And then as a follow-up to that, does culture make any sort of a difference in that interaction? Yeah, culture plays a big role. Um, I'm in the Southwest, so I have a lot of Hispanic culture. And a lot of times if it's um, a male, the wife will automatically take care of the ostomy. He might eventually empty the pouch, 
but they're both comfortable with the, the wife changing the pouch. Okay. Um, even elderly women, a lot of times the Hispanic culture, the children will change the pouch for her. So things like that, you definitely have to take into consideration, you know, how everyone wants to push the patient to be self-care, but really it's about what works for that family unit. Mm -hmm. If the patient is agreeable and a caregiver is agreeable, they work out their own little system. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you have every culture, Caucasian culture, I have, you know, the, the husband always changes pouch and the wife takes care of everything else. And they just have always done that. Of course, I try and engage the patient more if this spouse had to go to the hospital or traveled, would you be able to do it? So I want them to at least be able to do it, even if they decide that they want another routine. I think engaging, you know, and sometimes you have the opposite where the caregiver or the spouse doesn't want anything to do with it, they walk out of the room. And again, that's up to the patient. You know, sometimes they want that person to come in and sometimes they don't. So again, having that dialogue, I think is probably the biggest. And if, if someone's just having, I've had pets, patient spouse say I'm not doing anything and you know three four months down the line they're doing everything mm -hmm. and they're fine with it but at first they feel like they're turned off to it and of course that's harder on the patient too because then all of a sudden it's like taboo subject or I can't let them see it and they have to go behind closed doors whenever they get undressed and things like that so it's really varies how you engage it but I think first it's finding out what the patient wants um, and again, a little bit of talking, just like I do with the sex, kind of like if, if, so if your spouse, your husband or wife had this instead of you, how would you deal with it? And yeah. the same thing to the caregiver, trying mm -hmm. to get them to have that dialogue and appreciate what it would be like if they were in their shoes. Putting yourself in someone else's shoes mm -hmm. is always an eye-opener. So I don't know if that totally answers the yeah, question. Yeah, no, but that's great. Okay. So I understand that you have a um, number of outpatient clinics. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, determine when someone is ready to be discharged from your care? I don't let anybody go. <laughs> <laughs> Part of what I love about so, my job is the yeah. relationship we develop. But yes. no, truthfully, I always try and at least get them to come back yearly to okay. see me. Now, the younger population doesn't always want to do that. But I tell them, don't let more than two years go. Mm -hmm. Because I really prefer... A year, You know, I gradually get them, you know, in the beginning, see them more frequently, then I go six months and then yearly. And what I tell them is that, you know, there's, oh, my eye is trained to see things before yours is. Yeah. So I want to be able to see things that maybe will prevent you from having problems down the line. And of course, we know that as in the nursing field, we know that as, you know, are they developing granulomas? Is their skin not as pristine mm -hmm. as it should be? And they have some chronic changes. Is their weight changing? And maybe they're using convexity when now they have um, more of an outward mm -hmm. appearance to their abdomen. So that convexity might be detrimental. So I... I always bring them back yearly, and, and it's funny because most of the time when patients come back, they'll they'll kind of go, you know, I learned something new every time I come, mm -hmm. because different things come up. At first, it's really about the hands-on part, but later on down the line, yes, I check for hernia, and yes, I check for their skin and all that, but that's when the lifestyle questions come yeah. up. That's when all of a sudden, now they're going to be traveling to Europe. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. Or maybe they, you know, I had someone that had was... Um, 
a widow, she was going to remarry. How do I, how do I deal with that? You know, um, one that all of a sudden started having intercourse again and was having a hard time with that. So we had a lot of talk about positioning and and why that was, and so a lot of different questions come up. So it's really kind of fun because you really play into their quality of life then mm -hmm. a little bit more. So those yearly visits, I really look forward to. Yeah. So I don't let anybody go. <laughs> And they don't probably let you go either, no, I would imagine. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and I think too, even in that in that year time frame, there there can be new innovations yes. that come out, new products and new resources that come out, and so to be able to let them know about those yeah. when you see them for that follow up is also Very really true. good too. Yeah, and that's so. I, I do tell them that too. Yeah. And then sometimes when they're coming in and we have a problem that we just can't really solve, I say, "Well, I'm going to conference next month. Yes. I'll I'll keep you in mind and I'll let you know if I find yes. something new. Yeah, we'll do some networking. And <laughs> yes. Yeah. Troubleshooting, yep. absolutely. Um, so they have you as an amazing resource, but how do people connect with others with an ostomy? Um, I, again, I think um, local ostomy support groups, okay. if you have an active support group, that's always great to hook them into, whether it's a phone call or whether it's going to meetings. I try and tell people it's not for everybody, but if you might want to just go at least once, it's nice to see people that are functioning in life with mm -hmm. this. And if you don't want to go again, that's fine. If you want to go, it's a social meeting for a lot of people after that. Um, there's also a lot of internet blogs and websites. Um, one for a young gal that has IBD, I think it's Crohn's, she has, it's called the Stolen Colon. I think it's a great little, little name. But she does a lot. She has, you know, two infants. She talks about living with her IBD, living with an ostomy, dealing with her children. She even got um, one of her little videos was looking at different uh, carriers for infants and with an ostomy and, and why she picked one over the other and which one she worked good for her. So that's a good resource. There's a vegan ostomy. That's a nice resource. It's a, a gentleman from Canada, I think, and he talks a lot about lifestyle adjustments and things like that. So there's a lot of different blogs and websites that people can look up. Um, I had one gal that was, um, actually I didn't answer that about pregnancy, one gal went through a pregnancy and she found lots of different websites for pregnant early moms with ostomies. So that was a really good resource for her because, you know, and, and those patients need to be followed really closely. Her stomach changed every month and even postpartum, she changed a lot. And so we, I see her still, I think she's about six months postpartum right now. And I'm still seeing her monthly for a while because we're still dealing with different changes in her belly. So, yeah, but there's, there are a lot of good resources. I think the, the UOA convention is a great source for patients. And so if it's in the, like it was in the Southwest last year, this year it's gonna be in Philadelphia. So if you have a convention that's close, especially where people don't have to travel and, and have hotels, mm -hmm encourage them to go because the sources there are wonderful for them the networking is great it's a and actually even as a nerd ostomy nurse a young ostomy nurse i went on my first year and i learned a, an enormous amount mm -hmm. about dealing with an ostomy and questions they ask and it's just a really good good resource and then for children there's um, an ostomy camp for anyone with bowel and bladder um, and there's usually oh i don't think Money should not be a problem. There's always a, um, a resource for them to get a paid trip for ostomy camp, and that's a great thing for kids mm -hmm. to be with other kids that have bowel and bladder issues, whether it's an ostomy or just incontinence or whatever. Yeah. So. And I think if they Googled youth rally, 
Yes, right. They rally. would be able to find yes, find thank that you. information. That's the name, not us yes. Camp, yeah. Rally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, such yeah. a great opportunity for them to connect with people and realize that they're not the only Alone. one yeah. out there, and they don't have to explain why I wear a bag. Yes, yes. yeah, so empowering. Um, so, in closing, in your practice, why do you think that talking about lifestyle is so important with someone for someone with an ostomy? We've covered a lot, um, but why do you think it is so important? So that patients can attain their desired quality of life. Like I mentioned, I don't know if it's in this podcast or another one, but my whole goal for patients is to fit the ostomy into their life, not for their ostomy, the, their life to revolve around their ostomy. Mm-hmm. You know, that quality of life for them, whatever that might be, you know, whether it's a lot or a little, but what's going to help them manage it so that they're not thinking about this ostomy, fixated on the ostomy forever. So I think all those lifestyle issues just help them reach that goal. And that's my goal for them. And hopefully that's their goal as well. Well said. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us professional.